Locked on NBA Thursday edition. Sam Amick joins us, the athletic NBA writer, and uh, we'll review last night's game, run around some of the James Harden-esque performances, and look at the two massive games that are taking place tonight. There's actually three good games with two massive ones uh, tonight. Sam, happy holidays. Hope you're well. David, happy new year. Happy holidays. Doing great. Thanks for having me, buddy. It's been a little while. Let's look at last night's action. Um, you know, the tendency when we do daily shows is to kind of overreact. But are we beginning to see any Western Conference separation? New Orleans falls on the road at Brooklyn. Minnesota should probably lose at Boston. That's not a big deal. Memphis loses at home to Detroit that has the fight with Omri Caspi and Garrett Temple due to evidently reports of lack of bench enthusiasm. It's a new one. Um, are we beginning to see any separation in the Western Conference? A little bit. I think at the bottom, it's funny you ask that today of all days, because in my neck of the woods, because you know I'm, I'm living near Sacramento, and locally the, the folks around here have been very you know, ambitious and excited about the idea of the Kings ending their playoff drought, going back to 2006. And you know, as much as they've made progress, you look at it right now, and, you know, they've dropped a couple games. They're a game and a half out of playoff position. So that kind of grouping, I think we've had some separation. You know, you got that game and a half gap between the Kings and the Lakers. And then, you know, below the Kings, you're talking Memphis, Dallas, and, and Utah. Up your alley is an interesting one because I'm going to still, you know, definitely assume they continue to improve and, and get into that mix. So you've got these teams that, that are having what I think should be described as positive seasons, mainly Dallas and Sacramento, uh, but I think they're going to have a very hard time getting into the playoff picture. So, you know, I think a little bit of separation. I, I always get nervous taking 10-game stretches because schedule has such an impact. New Orleans particularly has gone through a really hard schedule. But you do look at the last 10 games. Sacramento suddenly is 27th in differential. Memphis is suddenly 24th in differential. Like, you wonder whether or not, you know, this is the wearing out of these teams a little bit. Sure, and I, I put Memphis in a different category because of their history, and you're talking about, you know, Mike and Mark, and, and, you know, I think one of their main discussions locally is Jaron Jackson Jr., and is he getting used enough, uh, you know, because they don't have that third score, that third star, but he's shown certainly glimpses. Um, so, I, I mean, they've got the kind of the, the veterans and the history that you would think continue to play at a higher level, but they're having their own frustration. So uh, I do think you're seeing the separation. The Kings have been blowing a lot of late games. You know, they just, they get into the last three, four minutes and they still have that thing that bad teams have where it's, it's really as if they look at the scoreboard and can't believe they're still up and then just go into prevent defense, which when you are the fastest team in the NBA is a terrible idea. And plus they don't have a, you know, kind of classic shot makers. They have, you know, Darren's fantastic on the break. And they have guys who can hit shots, but they don't have that guy in a half-court set you can throw it to. So uh, I think the inexperience this time of year starts to show itself. It's, you know, I think it's kind of cliche, but it's true. It's really, really beeping hard to win. Like, right. I, I just think we, un- and a little bit to, like, the point of when these guys who just continually win – I think we may not give them enough credit because it is really right. hard to win every night. Yeah. I mean, to pick, I keep going back to Sacramento, but to pick their latest team that did knock them off, you got Portland. You know, Damian Lillard, if he heard, you know, this pop would be nodding his head 
saying, yeah, you're effing right. It's really hard to win. Like it's, it, you know, they've been doing it in Portland for a while and we tend to overlook it because it's not at the championship level. And we thought that team would be able to consistently get deeper into the playoffs, but they take a lot of pride with good reason in having stacked up all these 50 plus win seasons because of exactly what you're talking about. You know, they, they know how to win games and, and you know, you got guys and Damian and CJ McCollum who, you know, in those moments that I talked about last three minutes, they more often than not, they get the job done. But I agree a hundred percent. It's very hard. Last night, Dallas, who's probably going to be the 13th or 14th Western conference team. They're really good. Goes and wins by 40 in Charlotte, which just adds another Western conference team. That's gone into Charlotte and beat the six best Eastern conference team. Like it's just been like right. a run is at what point is this discrepancy so severe that the, I know it can that there's no way to get the board of governors 75% to pass something but at what point does Adam Silver have to try to at least make a claim to the league and say guys the discrepancy between Eastern Conference and Western Conference is so significant that it's damaging our league I just I, I mean having talked to Adam about it and consistently listened to all of his public comments about it you know, the, the, the reason it's not going to go anywhere is I don't think he, there's any impetus on his part to have it go anywhere. I mean, he just consistently cites the travel, consistently cites the unbalanced schedule and the fact that, you know, that, that before you even talk about the logistical nightmare that the playoffs might become, you then have to factor in, the, the, you know, they, they would want to have a balanced 82-game schedule if they were going to go ahead and, and get rid of conferences. And I just don't see him doing that. Um and again, I think it's a chicken or the egg thing because it does he seem you know completely uninspired because deep down that's actually how he feels about it, or is it because he's well aware of the bylaws and what you already attributed or you kind of cited the fact that you got to get seventy five percent of these men in the room to you know and women in the room to vote that way, and you know in the east it's just the the playoffs are a cash cow, and all those teams that consistently get in from spots five through eight and who have no business being there, you know, they're not going to help you out with a vote. And, and I just don't know how they get that off the ground. I mean, I'm with you. When I was at my last job at USA Today, you know, my, my buddy and colleague, Jeff Zilgit and I did, you know, a whole package on why the NBA should turn this thing on its head. Uh, you know, and it doesn't matter. This, this storyline doesn't go away, but you know, it doesn't actually go anywhere either. No, it's clear that it's clear that it's not going to change, but it, it's detrimental to the league when Brooklyn's going to make the playoffs and Luka Doncic is not, right? For sure. There's two, like two parallels real quick. You mentioned Dallas, which is interesting. You know, if you look at the fact that they just played OKC back-to-back nights and the Thunder couldn't get the job done the first night, so they beat OKC, which right now is, you know, a top-four team in the West, uh, you know, playing really good basketball. But Dallas is a, a tough challenge for them. Now, OKC gets them when they go back home. But you know that struck me when I saw the Dallas Charlotte score because it's like my God, like you know Charlotte isn't even putting up a fight. Um, Brooklyn is another interesting one to take it back to Sacramento because, on balance, Brooklyn and Sacramento are having you know kind of very similar seasons, right? You know, the recent history of struggles and, and surprisingly quick turnarounds with records that are in the ballpark for one another. But the Brooklyn story, I think, is going to remain really positive for longer because they're going to have an easier time staying alive in the East. And the Kings are, are probably going to continue to kind of fall behind, and, and it's going to change the tone of their story. 
And it's not necessarily that one team is better than the other. It's that one team plays in a certain conference. The other one is just the amount of off nights you get in the Eastern Conference. And I just, I just think this is a huge issue on how much it matters to players' confidence, how much teams feel about themselves. But, like, Miami got Charlotte last night, Washington got Atlanta, and Orlando got Chicago. They all feel good about themselves today. Right? right. I just think that's a right. – you know, uh, I think that's a huge, huge part of this that when you're in the Eastern Conference, you just get these nights off all the time. And it makes – Yeah. It, no, I mean, you're right. We played the Knicks the other night, and I tweeted out, Eastern Conference teams get to play these guys four times. Like it was the the Knicks put on right. the worst half of basketball I've seen in twenty five years in the league the other night. They were so right. bad. Right. Um, oh, so they're not getting KD. Is that is that the news you're breaking? Yeah. In? Well, if, who knows? Because KD, KD, <laughs> KD blows in the wind a little bit. Um, any does. any vibe on how long LeBron's out? Um, I mean. You know, no other than not surprised that he's not back yet. You know, I'm guilty a little bit of like tinfoil hat, maybe getting put on with this particular absence where I just, I'm fascinated at this stage of life and and the way LeBron thinks and, you know, he would never cop to it or talk about it. But I, there's part of me that thinks he might be taking his time as a way to kind of force this group to figure itself out independent of him and with the bigger picture in mind while also making sure that he's a hundred percent healthy. But I mean, you knew when he started rolling into the arena with a glass of wine, that it was going to be a while. And, you know, I, we've talked before, I think about how I just don't think anything he does is not deliberate. You know, he's an extremely measured guy and very manipulative when it comes to kind of messaging and media. And that's not even saying that as a pejorative, it's just the reality of the way he functions at this stage. So, you know, part of me feels like, you know, especially with Rondo out, it's just the optics are interesting because it just kind of looks like it's them almost forcing. I mean, Rondo's a different situation. He had surgery. He'll be out for quite some time. But they're they're kind of just putting the rest of the group into a sink or swim you know, experience that if they can figure it out, could help them in the long run. And I think with LeBron, the truth is, again, something he probably wouldn't fully admit and be candid about, but like, would you be shocked if he had the opinion that I really don't care about the standings at all as long as I get an eight seed? Because if you're him, I could see you taking the mentality of like, you know, screw it. Let's just go size ourselves up against the best and try to shock the world. Because for one, he, he loves a good narrative as much as anybody. Like, come on, we just saw this interview that I, you know, there was a little bit much uh, where he talks about, coming back from 3-1 against the Warriors and how that was the moment when he decided he was the greatest player of all time. Like, the guy, he's a storyteller now. He's got his fingers in media a lot as far as his own content. And so um, that's, I'm rambling there. I need a little bit, David. But, like, I, I kind of think that he's looking at this like we just got to get in the playoffs and I want this whole group to be as good as possible when we get there. Um, so, I mean, I think he's going to be out for a few more games at least. Well, I will tell you, talking to somebody in the league, they basically said the stories that came out the night of the injury, someone's not telling the truth, right? Either if LeBron actually felt a pop, it's far more serious than they're saying. Or if, you know, I, I doubt they're lying about an MRI, but, you know, th- th- basically that, that 
there's still some questions circulating about how long and that's going to be. Paul George did it again last night for OKC. James Harden takes the floor tonight. We'll talk about the guys that are playing unreal basketball, including Kawhi Leonard heading back to San Antonio here in a moment as we continue with Sam Amick here on Locked On NBA. If you're a fantasy daily fantasy player, make sure you grab Locked On Fantasy Basketball with Josh Lloyd. Absolutely fabulous show. And make sure your favorite team you've subscribed to your daily Locked On NBA podcast. Sam, Paul George has been just brilliant. He carries them again last night, OKC. Is he a top 10 player in the NBA? I do have Paul. It's funny, you had given me my homework assignment to, to talk top 10. I've got my top 10. I don't know how my rankings end up looking, but Paul is, is in the top 10. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's the, the thing that gets overlooked, and I wrote about him a lot, recently and then the fit with OKC and with Russ and you love the numbers as much as anybody. There's a lot of really interesting numbers about how Russ is, is finally giving up the reins to the offense a little bit when it comes to usage rate, the gap between Paul and Russ is much smaller this year. Um, you know, fourth quarter scoring, things of that nature. And so Paul is taking over a lot of times in OKC, but the part we overlook is the, is the two way play. I mean, the guy's a fantastic defender and they are either number one or number two in defensive rating right now. And it's got a lot to do with him. So that's the part, you know, as I sit here and peek at this top ten list, it's like, all right, LeBron plays defense occasionally. Steph tries his best and is a very good team defender, but has his physical limitations, athletic limitations. Like, you go through the list, there's not that, you know, Kevin Durant, when he wants to, fantastic. Doesn't always play defense. Paul George almost always plays defense, and I think that should get him a lot more capital than it does. You talked with him the other day, had a big piece on him in The Athletic. I have always found him to be, and I, I, I don't, gosh, this sounds terrible, but I don't know if I mean it as ter- I think these guys get asked a lot of questions, and they have to talk all the time, and I don't think they always know, and they just say stuff, right? Like I, sure. I, I, like, I mean, really do. I mean, I almost mean that in a sympathetic manner of like how often I watch questions being asked to play. And, and I always thought Paul George just kind of said stuff. There seemed to be, or and half the time I think Paul George was saying something so he didn't have to say what he really thought because he was talking about free agency or Carmelo on the team or Russ or like, right, I just, there's, I don't mean that negatively. It sounds it, but I don't necessarily mean it that way if you understand what I'm trying to say. Did you feel yeah. as though there was a larger clarity when you talked with him recently? I did. Uh, I wish we could have sat down for longer. This was at a shoot around and we talked for a few minutes at a shoot around. And then I caught him after the game for a few more minutes. Um, we, you know, I think I am in a decent position to get, you know, more candor out of him than his run of the mill media session, because we've done some deeper stuff together. I went to his house last year in training camp and talked about how he was getting used to OKC. And so I like Paul. I enjoy covering him. And the thing that struck me about what he had to say, probably two main things, was for one, his admission that last year he was pressing, um, that he felt a lot of pressure uh, after the trade. Then they get Mello. Then, you know, Mello gets there right on the eve of training camp. Now they have to make it all work. And you know you have free agency coming, and so you feel this – timeline staring at you where it's like we got to he you know he thought they needed to go contend for a title right away that year and it didn't happen but now when you sign a four-year deal and you know you're going to be there for a minute 
it, it changes the pressure equation. And lo and behold, he's playing even better ball. Plus, I think that has got everything to do with Russ being willing to give up a little more of his space because he has to now look at Paul and it's like he's not a part-timer. Like this dude could have gone anywhere and he stayed here on a long-term deal. The other slice of clarity that I did enjoy was, and I don't even honestly, just to be self-critical, I don't know if I made the best use of this anecdote because it was pretty good, is is when he talks about uh, and he said, hey, have you ever had an all these defense team and you know his personal kind of ethos like all of his branding is why not why not why not and it's that fearless kind of motto and and so when russ told paul that he had not been on the defense team he kind of laughed and said well why not you know and, and he was trying to get that like why don't we switch it up this your energy and intensity let me handle a little more of the offense. I'm going to help you on defense too. It's worked, and I do think it's a different look for the Thunder. I mean, Russ has not been very good this year. In everything, like he has not shot the ball well. Um, I'm one of those people, I don't know how you see this, like when the collective defense is, is outstanding, I stop looking at the individual metrics. Like, And, and Russ actually has some great, individual metrics uh, defensively, the most obvious, you know, career high steals per game leading the NBA. Like, I don't have anything to quibble about on the defensive end. He's averaging triple-double for the third straight season. The shooting is just a complete train wreck. Um, and, and not only that, but he, you know, this conversation about how his level of shamelessness is still a thing. You know, Chauncey Billups last night – on the ESPN telecast, it really got my attention when they were talking about Russ's night, and he was I, it was two for 20. I forget if this was like in-game commentary, but Chauncey flat out said, he's like, man, I'll tell you what, like, you know, if I'm two of 18, like, there's not going to be a 19. You know, like, that idea that Russ just keeps chucking when you have, you know, more efficient shooters on the floor, like, that is still a thing, but he's, you know, he's done some good things, too. And they're winning. They've had a they've had a very soft schedule that has allowed them to get through any exposure to these weaknesses. Had they had a different schedule, I think the narrative on Russ is very different. Paul's been brilliant, but right. And, and I mean, and the quest for the nightly triple double is still just it's hard to watch, frankly. Like, are we see? And now I'm guilty of not. I you know have not watched that aspect all that closely. You feel like that is still happening. Yes. Yeah. At a really, at a, at an alarming level. Like, yeah, at an alarming level. I might be wrong, but, you know, it's one of those things, once you get no, it in your you head. No, you could be right. Once you get it in your head, it's hard not to see it. But, I mean. Well, when, I think, when, I mean, they, I think, listen, man, like, we get on, I get on LeBron for calling himself the greatest. I mean, Russ, Russ is pretty, He, you know, he's, he's tough to digest sometimes. You know, the the interview the other day where he just, I like confidence and swag is great, but he just, without batting an eye sits there. I don't know if you saw this and, but he says, you know, I'm, I'm the best scoring point guard in the NBA and the best defending point guard in the NBA and the best passing point guard in the NBA. And did you see this media yeah, moment that he had? Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, uh, come on, Russ. Like, meanwhile, I, I also just watched a clip of Michael Jordan saying that he never wanted to be called the greatest of all time because it was a, in a front to the guys who came before him and he never had a chance to play for them. So, or play against them. 
Like that's more my cup of tea. Like I, I kind of love that stance. And so, you know, Russ, but I guess my point would be that Russ clearly is like a guy who thinks that he should be on top of every point guard power ranking in the entire NBA. And so it's almost a, a case if you're Paul George, it's almost like you have to divert his attention to just a different area that could bring him uh, a combination of individual accolades and collective success, i.e. the defensive side. Um, but you have to incentivize him, you know, with kind of, what am I trying to say? With, you know, the accolades and with, I mean, it does seem like he's, he's got a real connection in his mind between the numbers and his, his worth that the W's alone are, are not enough. And if you watch it, I think you see it. Sam Amick is with us with the athletic. Yeah. Is Jokic in your top 10? Uh, Jokic is in my top 10. I need to go back and look. I felt like there was a pretty kind of distinct line of demarcation once I got to 10. When you looked at it, did you feel that way or no? No, because I had 13 to get my 10. But I don't have Anthony Davis. I don't have, I don't have Anthony Davis in my top 10. I'm the only one in the world. All right, hot taker. I like it. No, I mean, I keep saying this, and, uh, I, and I get, you know, I mean, it's like I, I make a fool of myself every time I say this, but – I mean, on a night where he drops 38 and 26 last night or whatever crazy numbers he puts up. But, like, these other top 10 guys are all well above 500. Yeah, no, I mean, and you're not, again, you're not alone, and I keep shouting out the ESPN crew, but I actually really, like, Chauncey and Paul Pierce have been banging that drum, uh, and I've enjoyed their commentary. Like, they've been, Paul in particular, has been pretty critical of AD. And just uh, they even had a weird parallel last night. They were debating Tom Brady and bringing it to football and essentially saying, you know, Tom Brady didn't need you to surround him with superstars. Like Tom, time and time again, made superstars out of the guys around him. And, you know, it's a simplistic narrative, but there is, I think, truth in it. And with AD, it's tough to reconcile because the winning doesn't happen. But I also just think, you know, his gaudy numbers and the fact that you know, he is on most nights a two-way guy. Uh, you know, he's he's a top 10 guy for me, but I understand where your head's at. The one, you know, guys I struggle with, like uh, Damian Lillard, who I have a ton of respect for, you know, like not having Damian in the top 10 might surprise some people. Uh, and I'm not, I couldn't sit here on the spot and, and really break down why. Uh, I just think that, um, you know, that's probably the, the, the biggest hot take I have. But, uh but yes, Jokic is in my top ten. I don't have him in my top ten either. We'll quickly compare the top tens and we'll talk about one of the greatest offensive runs we've seen. We'll get to see it again tonight and Kawhi's return to San Antonio. As we continue on Locked On NBA, make sure you follow Locked On NBA Net on Instagram. It is a great way to catch short little bits of all the best NBA hosts. And if you got one of those little smart speakers for Christmas, make sure you tell it to play podcast Locked On NBA. Uh, just to compare quickly before we get into tonight's action. So we both have LeBron, Curry, Harden, Durant, Giannis, Jokic, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, right? We're all the same on those eight? Yep. I have Embiid and, yep. I have Embiid and Kyrie as my next two. I have Embiid and who did you not name? And you have Anthony Davis instead of Kyrie. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. Thank okay. you. All right. So no yeah, Carl. I got Embiid. So no AD. And, and when the Jazz start playing bad teams again, by the way, 
and start winning, I will move Rudy Gobert back into my top 10 and everyone in the world can make fun of me for it. But when and I was actually wondering, yeah, I was going to ask you. If well, you had Rudy in there. I believe Rudy's a top ten player in the league because he single handedly makes you the number one defensive number. My take on this is twofold. One is being good offense and being good defensively has the same impact on winning. I know that's hard for people to believe, but I can statistically prove it. So now, if you tell me I got a player and my team's automatically the top five offensively because I have that player, that's a top ten player, right? So why is right. if I have a player who I put on the roster and you're immediately a top five defensive team in the league, why isn't that a top ten player? I'm not mad at you for it at all. Um, I think that I mean I'm going to probably just add to your argument. I, I mean, let's be honest. A lot of what drives the the way we look at the game and what we value is the business side. I mean, it's a little bit like Jabari Parker got crucified for saying that you know guys don't get paid to play defense, but it wasn't totally, you know, an inaccurate statement. I mean, some guys get paid to play defense, but it's a whole lot tougher to be Rudy Gobert than it is to be, you know, a, a Zach Levine. You know what I mean? So um, that's the marketing business aspect of the game. If you're talking about a very holistic, you know, healthy look at the game itself, and you're not wrong. I mean, yeah, being it's like the Thunder, they drive me nuts because I kind of have to consider them a legitimate contender because I share a similar opinion that you do about the defensive side of the ball. And if they're going to show me a top three defense, then I'm going to continue to let them figure their stuff out on offense because the inverse of that, you know, we do that all the time. If a team is mediocre defensively, but they're explosive offensively, we, we always give them the benefit of the doubt. Um, you know, and I think it should go the other way as well. So, I mean, I hear you on the Rudy argument, uh, but again, it's just not happening for the jazz just yet. Uh, they are the number one defense in the league the last 20 games, I think. So it might be happening. Okay, interesting. Uh, I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah, they're certainly the number. They've held nine of their last 11 opponents to under 101 point per possession. So, uh, they, not to go down this rabbit hole too much, but have they, has the freedom of movement stuff changed at all, in your opinion, no. over the course of the past four or five weeks? You mean across the league? Well, yeah, but you're watching them closer. I mean, they 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 had become like the poster yeah, I don't child even, of. I don't think that was true. Actually, they weren't getting back in transition defense. Um, they just weren't okay. as they just weren't as sharp as they to start the year, and they were playing on the road in a, against great teams every night. So okay. I I think they so were number I think, six overall right now. Right. I just look. Yeah, and they're number one over the last twenty. Unless Indiana's got them, they've been going back and forth with Indiana. How about that story, by the way? Why isn't anyone yeah. talking about Indiana and Nate McMillan? Like, like why is like it's to me? I, I I've known Nate forever, and I'm a little biased. And there's probably a lot to what I'm about to say more than I mean to, or maybe exactly what I mean to. I feel like there's like 20 coaches in the NBA that if they were doing what Indiana was doing, there'd be articles being written about the head coach every day, and Nate gets no love. Because he's not a modern... For crying out loud, I'll go write about Nate. No, but but I mean, a little bit, like, like if Brad Stevens was doing what Nate, what Indiana's doing, it would be the, oh my gosh, like, Brad Stevens is a genius, and if Quinn Snyder was doing it, frankly, if Mike D'Antoni was doing it, frankly, and, you know, I I just, you know, if Mike Budenholzer's doing in Milwaukee, like, Mike Budenholzer's doing in, what Nate's doing in Indiana is more impressive than what Mike Budenholzer's doing in Milwaukee. He didn't have Giannis. Yeah. I don't know what it is. Uh, you spark a, a quick memory that makes me laugh. Uh, David Benner, you know, former sports writer and current PR man, longtime PR man of the Pacers. Uh, he did a 
he did a, a fun little video a couple years ago where he gave, and I'm going to leave the context out because it's a, a, another road to go down, but he, he gave myself and, uh, and Jeff Zilgit a hard time at USA Today, and mainly Jeff, about how we never got out there to cover his team. And so he, this was on video. And he looks at the camera and he says, hi, Jeff, David Benner here from the Pacers. This is one of the, you know, reminds you, we have a, a, an international airport in Indianapolis. We have a Marriott Hotels. And, uh, you know, you're welcome to come to town anytime. We got a pretty good basketball team, too. So there's there's been this thing for a while that we, we are guilty of overlooking them. I don't know if it's, you know, Oladipo, and especially now that, that he's been back, you know, as a legitimate star. Because before you would argue that it, the post-Paul George Hayes, that we didn't take anything they were doing seriously. But, I mean, this is a, a pretty good sample size at this point where we should be paying attention. All right, tonight, James Harden and the Warriors – have you ever seen? I mean, you want to do lists like I've, James Harden's got to be one of the greatest off five offensive players in the history of the game. I mean, this is insane. This is bonkers, yeah. And that's actually I'm looking forward not to timestamp our podcast, but I, you know, I'm going to that game. And I'm excited about it because I, 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 the Rockets are like I have an unofficial list of teams that I do feel stronger on in terms of covering and the Rockets are definitely on my short list and I haven't done anything on them in a while and I haven't watched James that closely and so tonight it's like it's kind of combining of narratives where it's like the Warriors are trying to find their way you got the the backdrop of the Western Conference Finals and the one two in the West and I think you know what tonight represents for me is that I think we are back to that reality that it is Rockets Warriors again in the West and that's to James's credit. I mean, what he's doing is incredible. I don't know what it means for the big picture because I still don't trust, you know, Chris Paul's body and just being banged up all the time. Uh, but we don't have to answer those questions just yet. I mean, we can enjoy James in the moment just doing some incredible stuff. I mean, it's every night when you know the opposing defense is, is you know, literally losing sleep, trying to figure out ways to slow you down. And he's out there just dropping 40-plus every time out. We've gotten to an incredible thing in this league where, like, the step back, you can't let him take his step back three because it's basically a layup. Like, that's a hard shot. It's insane. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's also contagious. Like, you know a guy is transcendent, and, you know, when he starts to have that ripple effect on the league. And I'm not trying to say that some of these other guys just started working on their step back, but, like, the other night, Bogdan, Bogdanovich beats the Lakers on a step back on the right wing. And I was looking at this thing going, man, I don't know if a year ago Bogdanovich is doing the extra step, like essentially where Harden figured out a little bit of a loophole in the rules where you, you can kind of turn that extra step into another 18 inches of space. And, and it just it would look like a carbon copy step back of what Harden does every night. And, you know, I, I don't remember – that type of a step back being part of the game before. And, you know, that's, that's the fun part of players like that game changers, you know, Steph Curry with his shot, uh, you know, LeBron in different ways, but yeah, James has just been bonkers, man. All right. Final two questions. Uh, Kawhi Leonard heads back to San Antonio. Was Kawhi hurt last year? Uh, Yeah, for sure. Um, I just don't know that he was, I just don't know that he was hurt until the end, you know? I mean, I hate this game of questioning. I've always hated this game of questioning the medical stuff because I'm not, a, you know, don't have my medical degree, but, you know, but but we also are reporters who constantly talk to people. So, like, 
I will, I will be, uh, you know, I'll play it safe by just saying that, listen, there was a ton of noise and a lot of people within the NBA that for some reason, you know, the information they had led them to the conclusion that he, you know, that he could have played uh, at the end of the year. And uh, he just chose not to. And that's, that noise is pretty loud. I'll tell you what. I watched him the other night. It didn't look like a guy coming back from an injury to me. Oh my gosh, was he incredible? Yeah. Uh, where does he play? He's, where does he play next year? To, to finish that other point real quick, yeah. I just think the the more the easier way to put it is, I talked to someone in Toronto recently, and this was not even them criticizing necessarily. They they just and this is not a Raptors person to be clear. It was an immediate person, and they were just like, you know, I just don't think he's just the kind of guy. He's not ever going to play unless he's a hundred percent. And that's not a great quality to be known for. Uh, like I just read a great piece at our site about Jamal Murray, uh, about how he's always available and he's playing through pain. And so I, I think that's with Kawhi, you know, it, it appears that that's not the way that he's wired now he's incredible. So where's he going to play? Uh, right. I'm going to handicap it with the Clippers. Uh, I think that is real. And, I think it checks a lot of the boxes that Kawhi cares about. And, you know, I think that as good a program as the Raptors have going, I think you have a guy who played his entire career in the West and I think is more than smart enough about the game to realize that even a very good Raptors team uh, that dominates the East is, you know, it, it only means so much if you can't legitimately get over on the best team in the West. And I think Kawhi is wired to be a guy who, who wants to be a champion again. Um, and, and it's not to say that, I mean, I don't look at that Clippers roster and say that's the, that's the jam right there. But I think, you know, being back home, being part of like the underdog organization, I think kind of fits his profile. Uh, I think he would love the idea of kind of stealing LeBron's thunder in LA. And, and then there's all kinds of other stuff when it comes to the market and shoe incentives for being there and other opportunities. So, you know, I'd, I'd probably say Clippers right now. Sam Amick, The Athletic. Keep reading him. Subscribe. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks, David. Appreciate it, man.